Joshua chapter 5, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, getting ready for work. Getting ready for work. Joshua chapter 5, we'll begin to read in verse 1. Won't you stand with me, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Joshua 5, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. And at that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were circumcised because they had not been because they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed then the lord said to joshua this day i've rolled away the reproach of egypt from you therefore the name of this place is called gilgal to this day now the children of israel camped in gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of the Canaanite that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite of him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your spirit would challenge us. Move in our midst. Again, God, I pray if there's someone here that's never been saved, God, I pray they'll turn and trust you today. And Father, I pray that you'll continue to get your people ready for the work that you have set before us. Father, Many different spiritual lives stand here before you today, some without Christ, some with, all in different places on their walk with you. Father, all we can pray is, Holy Spirit, you do the work and accomplish the work you want to. We will yield ourselves to you. We'll pray as we come to a time of invitation. Speak to us what you want us to do. 
And I pray, God, that we will yield ourselves to the work that you want to accomplish as you continue to get us ready for the work that you set before the church in these days. Bless this time. Be honored and glorified through our response and obedience. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Well, Israel is finally crossed over, and it took some time to, to get them ready, and it took 40 years to get them to this place. I'm not going to read verse 1, but isn't it? What a testimony that the hearts of all the lost melted because of the presence of God in their life. Friend, there was a day when the church had that kind of influence in our country. doesn't have it anymore. Uh, the church is a laughingstock of the lost now. But there was a time when the presence of God so rested upon the church in this country, it absolutely scared lost people to death, but not anymore. And so God now continues to get them ready for the work that's before them. They've crossed over, but the work is just beginning. But before the work could begin, God had to work on the worker. And so he had gotten them ready to cross over. Now it's time to get them ready for the work of ministry. And it's the same is true in our lives. If we would be successful in the Great Commission work that God has set before every single disciple, the truths of this text, they must be a reality in our lives as well. Three things I want you to notice this morning, these realities that must be in our lives. Now, I'm going to let you know the first point's got four sub-points, so strap in and pay attention. It's a little longer, but there's really some good truth in this text today. First reality that had to be in their lives and must be in ours is a demonstrated dedication. There must be a demonstrated dedication. The first thing in that was uh, they demonstrated that through their sanctification. Now remember, sanctification is simply being set apart for the exclusive use of another. Spiritually, that's for the Lord. We're to be spiritually set apart for God's exclusive use. Now, you've, you've got to get the spiritual meaning of what's taking place. What happens in verses 1 through 8 might seem very odd, but if you put it within what God was trying to accomplish and the sign he was trying to show, there's great spiritual truth there. Remember, Romans 9, verses 4 through 5 say this. Uh, Paul's speaking about his great burden for the nation of Israel. He says, Who are Israelites? To whom pertain the adoption? Listen, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Of whom are the fathers? and of whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed of God. Amen. And so Israel was the covenant nation of God who would come the written word, but most importantly, and equally, the, the, the living word, Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, who in the fullness of time, Christ would be born of a virgin. Uh, remember that we go back to Genesis chapter 12, and we see that calling of Abraham, who was Abram then. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. Uh, thank God Abram didn't live in East Tennessee, or he might not ever have left. Uh, I've said to you many times, friend, I know it's Father's Day, and we should honor our father and mother, but friend, I'm telling you, there are Christians in our community, they're more loyal to their family than they are to God. They worship their families more than they do God. And if, if it was in East Tennessee or Western North Carolina, can you imagine the family that would have tried to talk Abraham from leaving his country and following God? 
And thank God he didn't listen. He says, I'll make you a great and mighty nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Thank God for verse 4. So Abraham departed. He followed the Lord. And friend, I've wondered many times as a pastor, how many people who sit in local churches, God called to do things just like this. But they were so tied to their family. They were so tied to the farm. They were so tied to tradition, they wouldn't follow what God wanted them to do with their life. And they missed a blessing, and others missed a blessing, because God wasn't able to work through them. Well, that's how the nation of Israel began. Uh, He called Abraham, and Abraham responded. Genesis chapter 15, God sealed the the covenant uh, with with a sacrifice. He, He marked what he was doing with the sacrifice that took place. But in Genesis chapter 17, God established a sign of the covenant that existed between him and the nation of Israel. And verse number 11 says, that was circumcision. It was the putting off of dead flesh. And what it represented was spiritually something that had happened in the heart. It, the, the, mark, the physical mark was a reminder of spiritual ownership. Remember that in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God said to the nation of Israel, you're to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God had an exclusive plan that he wanted to work through them. They were to continue to be fruitful and to be multiply and to raise and to rear godly generations. And then you can look exactly as how that came about in Matthew chapter 1 to where then in the fullness of time, Christ would be born when God was ready. And so that was the purpose that God wanted to accomplish through the nation of Israel. Uh, But remember uh, that what he was doing uh, in the physical with the the rite of circumcision was really to represent something that spiritually, more importantly, needed to happen in their heart. Uh, Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 26. He says, Egypt, Judah, Edom, all the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness, for all these nations, he's speaking about judgment that's going to come, says, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in their heart. Now, all of Israel at the point of judgment in 586 B.C., when God judged the southern kingdom, physically they had been circumcised. They were to the letter of the law with that. But God looked beyond the physical to the more important, and that was the spiritual. He says, you've got all these Gentiles. They physically haven't been circumcised because they're not a part of the covenant nation. But God says that's not the real problem. The real problem's the heart. He said, and Israel's not circumcised in their heart. They've still got the old life that that rules them. Deuteronomy chapter 10, and in verse number 16. Uh, God said this through Moses, says, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Now remember, they were practicing. This was when God said to Joshua, you need to circumcise this new generation of warriors. You've crossed over because it'll be the second time. Well, the first time had already taken place with this first generation who had left out of Egypt. Physically, that had already happened. But God saw the greater need. He says, you need to circumcise the foreskin of your heart because you're stiff-necked. You don't need to be that way any longer. 
circumcision represented and was supposed to represent a spiritual reality of, of where the old life, the deadness of sin, the body of sin had been put away and there was newness of life in Jesus Christ. Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 7 through 9 says, When you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in the flesh, to be in my sanctuary to defile it, my house where you offered my food and the fat of the blood, then they broke my covenant because of all your abominations. And you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. Listen, thus says the Lord God, no foreigner uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. So Ezekiel was, God was sharing through Ezekiel was this. The physical thing that had taken place was supposed to resent, more importantly, a spiritual reality that was taking place in their heart. The outer symbol was to demonstrate a, a, a complete and total sanctification. That is, setting apart for the exclusive use of the Lord. The problem was this. They began to substitute the symbol... For substance. You see, after they returned from that little 70-year vacation in Babylon in Persia, uh, you read in the book of Malachi, they no longer worshipped idols anymore, but they began to become apostates. They began to turn away from the Lord. And you see, during those 400 years between the end of Malachi and when John the Baptist came, there wasn't one prophetic word that was spoken. That's when the Pharisees and the Sadducees really began to ramp up the ministry that you see lived out in the Gospels that was contrary to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so they were all about, don't miss this, they were all about making sure that every male child on the eighth day physically was circumcised. But they didn't really care about the circumcision of the heart. They substituted the religious right for spiritual substance which God cared about more than the physical. Friend, God would save a Gentile who hadn't been circumcised, but nobody was going to heaven who hadn't been circumcised in their heart by repenting and being born again. If you see that, help me out and say amen. And so Joshua was to set the people aside so they were to have this physical sign that was to remind them of the more important spiritual substance that needed to be taking place in their heart. And friend, it happens in the church today. Baptism and church membership are and should be symbols of what have taken place in our life. When someone goes into baptistry, it should demonstrate that they have been buried with Christ, they've died with Christ, they've been resurrected with Christ to new life. It, it, should, it should represent that. Membership in the local church represents a deeper commitment. One is linking themselves with the tangible, visible, local church in the community for the purpose of missions. But you hear me, they're no substitute for spiritual reality. All baptism does is get you wet. But what it should represent, one is obedience to the first command of Christ in the life of a believer, and to show everyone, more importantly, spiritually what's happened in your heart. Join in the church, people think we've got some stack of letters downstairs. I need my letter. There's no letters. We've got a list of who is and who's not.
But all joining a church does is just link your name so that you can vote, and, 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 and that's what it does outwardly. But what it symbolizes is this. You're all in with the mission of the local church. And so physically, all circumcision was was just something to keep one more healthy. But spiritually, it was to remind them, more importantly, of what it had and should happen within one's heart. I mean, I wear a wedding ring on my hand. But this wedding ring doesn't make me faithful to my wife. That's a choice that I make every single day to honor her and to love her as Christ loved the church. But it should represent that. And so that's what circumcision was to be. It was an outward sign of an inner commitment, a demonstrated dedication. They were to be sanctified. And so before Israel could begin the work, they needed to be all in. You hear me this morning, friend. God will never use you if you're not all in. You hear people say, you know, well, you know, God won't use you to the, his fullest potential, your fullest potential. Friend, it's just this. God won't use you. He'll honor his word. But God will never energize flesh. And you'll never experience the best of God, friend, until you've got a circumcision of the heart. That is, you've put off the old life. The circumcision was the putting off of flesh. It, it was to be a physical sign of the spiritual putting off of the body of sin. And before any disciple can be used of God, we must yield ourselves to the spiritual surgeon. That's the Holy Spirit. And say, Lord, I don't want the old life anymore. The old me. Friend, you'll never be saved till you come to a place you don't want your life. You only want the life of Christ to live and reign and be a reality in your life. And you put off the old dead life of sin. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 11. He says, In Him, that's Jesus Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. He's not talking about the physical, but the spiritual. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He says, that is, friend, when you came to Jesus Christ and you submitted yourself to His Lordship, He cut away the old you that you didn't want anymore. Somebody say amen. You don't have to be bound by sin's penalty. And my friend, you don't have to be bound by sin's possession. We live in such a crippled society today where everybody wants to blame everything on somebody else and Everybody inherits. So the reason I'm this way, it's, it's either the government or it's my mother's fault that came down. I, I, she jeaned it down to me. And as I've said, you know, in the day in which we live, and if you can't find anybody to blame it on, just call it racist. Just blame it on racism. Everything's racism's fault today if you can't find anything to blame it on. You hear me this morning. Anybody that sins, if they do, it's their fault. They choose. And you as a believer, my friend, if you miss out on God's best... It's not the government's fault. It's not the changing climate's fault. It's your fault. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Paul says we must be sanctified by yielding ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Literally, that means, his friend, they've been cut off and removed. And newness is all that remains. In Jesus Christ. Praise God for that opportunity and that truth. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 
and 10. It says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. That's the, the old you. It's been cut away. And you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. They would have a demonstrated dedication. It was to be marked by sanctification. They're setting apart for God's exclusive use. But not only that, their demonstrated dedication was also to be marked by sureness. By sureness. Look what the Bible says in Joshua chapter 5 and verse number 8. Where the Bible says, So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people, they were all, all the men were obedient, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Now, friend, they're in enemy territory now. They're not on the other side. They're on the west side. And Jericho is there before them. Verse 1 already tells us all the nations, they're on high alert. Everybody's been called back off leave, off a three-day weekend. Everyone has their weapon. They're ready to fight. And God has Joshua physically wound all of the army, and now they've got to sit there wounded and unable to fight for several days. Friend, that took a lot of sureness in the Word of God. That God would protect them. That God would take care of them. See, from man's perspective, we said, well, let's do half. We'll stay at 50% readiness, and then we'll operate on the other half. And then when they heal, and they're 50% operational ready, then we'll do the other. Well, God didn't say that. He said, do surgery on all of them. And it was a part of their demonstrated dedication that they took God at his word and trusted him. And friend, I've discovered over these years, again, the reason many people never see the best of God in their life and they miss out on the miracle is this. They always try to play it safe. Now, I'm not saying, friend, just wild recklessness apart from the leadership of God. God bless this mess. But God had called them, and God had led them, and God commanded them to do it, and if he was going to do it, friend, listen, he would protect them. Remember that beautiful passage when Elisha, they'd been surrounded by the enemy, and his helper was absolutely scared to death, and Elisha prayed and said, God, open his eyes that he might see, and he looked out on the hillside, and God had sent a heavenly army to surround them. Friend, we need to remember what God calls us to do. He will equip us to do. He will empower us to do. And when we're too weak to fight, friend, he'll fight for us. And so they had sureness. They had to have that in their life. It was, it was a test to trust. We're going through the book of James on Sunday nights. Uh, James chapter 1, we just did uh, a few Sunday nights ago. And we, and we paralleled that with Romans chapter 5. And out of that, the Bible says that the purpose of those tests, when we yield ourselves to them and we trust God, it develops patience, it develops character, and it develops hope. And so God was testing the nation of Israel to see what, if their, what their sureness was in His Word. A demonstrated devotion. Not only is there sanctification and sureness, but there also must be a severing. There must be a severing. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, then the, then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away, I have severed, I have cut away, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of this place shall be called Gilgal no more. What was the reproach of Egypt? They'd been led out of Egypt. The reproach of Egypt was this. Don't miss this. 
wasn't too long after they'd been led out of Egypt that they were, you know, to be serving God. Remember all the all of the tests, all of the plagues that God had sent, the destruction they brought upon the army. These are God's people. This is God's holy nation. And then they get to Kadesh Barnea, and they bow up and balk on God and won't go. And so for 40 years, Egypt has horse-laughed the nation of Israel because they have walked around in a circle doing two things. Two things, discipleship and death, burying people. And Egypt has laughed, hey, yeah, God's people, whatever. And so here they had this this mocking because not of pre-salvation sin, post-salvation failure. And so there was this condemnation that rests upon the righteous realm. I can assure you, just like in every church, there was probably a whatever crowd. They didn't care any more than anybody else did about anything. But there was a righteous remnant that was burdened. Joshua and Caleb and those like them, they were embarrassed at spiritually what had led to the nation of Israel to be in the laughingstock. And God says, listen, that's gone. He says, you can't march forward. Don't miss this. You can't march forward and accomplish what I want you to accomplish if you're still bound by forgiven sin. That's what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants you to be bound, friend, by sin that's under the blood. Sin that he tries to bring up. You know when you're trying to go to sleep and you're you're just restless and your back hurts, you roll on your side and your hips start burning and you roll over to your stomach and then your lower back hurts and then you roll back to your back and a different part. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're trying so hard, Lord God, it's the simplest prayer. Please knock me out. I mean, just, and then all of a sudden, you think about something you said or did a few years before, after you were saved. Or something terrible that happened. And you just, oh, you, 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 I can't believe I did that. I know what I'm talking about. Friend, that's condemnation. There is no condemnation for the believer in Jesus Christ. Listen, when you trusted Jesus Christ, He didn't just forgive past sin, friend. He has forgiven sin that you committed that day and all the sin that you would commit in the future. The question is, will you bring it to Him so positionally you can be right? Thank God the book of 1 John says when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And we can have a brand new beginning. They needed to have that severing from the past. The Apostle Paul, he had post-Christian failures, Romans chapter 7 and verse number 19. So, very candidly, Paul would say, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. The greatest Christian who ever lived was candid enough to say, the things I know I'm supposed to do, I struggle to do. And the things that I know I'm not supposed to do, I find like I'm on the grease slide going to do them. I find it so easy. Remember Peter had failed? This was post-trusting Christ. Peter had been all in. He had forsaken all to follow Christ. But he had denied Christ three times. Once at the finger pointing of a little girl. Even cursed a little bit so they would think, no, he's not one of the disciples. But in John chapter 21, Jesus lovingly restores him to ministry. He says, you've got to put away, you've got to sever 
that past failure. God says, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Listen to me. Whatever your Egypt is this morning, pre-salvation or post, if you've truly brought it, friend, listen, God's rolled it away. Can I say, quit digging it up and playing with it. Leave it in the past. And don't listen to anybody. If you've you've got people around you that try to bring up the good old days that weren't good old days for you, find you people to be around. Cut off access to that. You say, well, what do I do when they call? Don't answer. Get them out of your contacts. But don't allow negative influences to hurt you spiritually. So there was to be a, a severing. But not only that, there was to be a solemnization. Alliteration's tough sometimes. A solemnization. Solemnize means to perform or to keep. There needed to be a performance of the Word of God. There needed to be a keeping. That may help you in jeopardy next week. A solemnization. That means the keeping or performance of. Word of the day right there. Look what the Bible says in verse number 10. It says, So now the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and what? What's the word? They kept the Passover on the 14th day of Jericho at twilight in the plains of Jericho. Well, it's not time to keep the Passover. It's time to fight. No, friend, on the calendar it was time for the Passover. If you're ever going to be used by God, friend, you must be faithful in even the smallest of details. You want to be close to Jesus Christ? and you want to sense His presence close to you, you obey Him. It's that simple. The more you obey God's Word, the closer you draw to God. The more you disobey God's Word, the more sin separates Isaiah 59 to you and God positionally. And so there was, there was a keeping of the Word of God, this solemnization. Remember Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. The, the Passover was a memorial to celebrate a reality in their life. That by the blood of the Lamb, they had been led out of Egypt. And so they were to keep this. God had commanded them, this is to be a perpetual keeping. A, you were to perform this. You are to keep the Passover, which memorialized what God had done. Listen to what Luke chapter 16 and verse number 10 says. Jesus said, He who is faithful in, in what is least, is faithful also in much. Now listen. He who is unjust in what is least is also, is also unfaithful and unjust in much. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 21, Jesus was speaking a parable. And he said this in chapter 25 and verse number 21. He said, uh, speaking about a servant being rewarded, he said, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And my friend, this is what the devil will lead you to do, to, to lead you to a place of being ineffective spiritually. Hear me this morning. That somehow in the Christian life, and we went through this with the commands of Christ, you can treat the life of a disciple like you're, you're at a buffet somewhere, at the Piccadilly Cafe. And you can take a little of this and a side of this, and a little of this will, will give me, no, no, give me a, give me a, I'm here for the early bird, give me a senior's portion of this, and then give me, give me two desserts of that. 
Friend, that's not the way it is. Whatever the Bible has as a commandment, it's for you. It's for me. And we can't pick and choose what we're responsible for. You can pick and choose whether you do it, but you can't pick and choose what you're responsible for. And so for the nation of Israel to experience God's best in their life and for them to demonstrate full devotion, they had to keep even the smallest detail of God's Word. Obedience to God in performing the smallest commands, listen, demonstrates dedication and devotion. Now I want to say that again. Listen to me. Obedience to God in performing the smallest commands demonstrates dedication and devotion. What's the reverse truth in that? Disobedience to God in keeping even the smallest commands demonstrates a lack of dedication and a lack of devotion. For the nation of Israel, they had to have a demonstrated devotion. Secondly, they were also now going to have a different diet. God's getting them ready for work. They were to have a demonstrated dedication, but they're also now going to have a different diet. Look what the Bible says in verse number 11. And it says, after, the, after they kept the Passover, verse number 10, after they ate of the produce of the land, on the, after, and then they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover. Now listen, unleavened bread, that's bread without any yeast in it, and, and parched grain. And on the very same day, then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Well, they weren't able to plant anything, so they were going to eat, don't miss this, what God had already planted for them. But they were to have a new diet. Now, now stay with me. Manna had been a fundamental diet. It was, it was just a basic diet. It was milk, if you will. And so remember, we, we, we spent much time over the past few weeks talking about manna early on in chapter 1, that they were to make preparations for themselves as they crossed over. But now the man is going to cease. They're to move away from the fundamental and to move on to the deeper things, the deeper food. That is, no more milk. Now it's time for ribeye steaks. Now it's time for mashed potatoes and gravy. Now it's time for cornbread. Now it's time for apple pie. Now it's time for all those good things you can't eat a whole lot of or they'll stop your heart up. And that's all because of sin. Part of being unhealthy. Our bodies are prone to it. But they were to move on in moderation. In Everybody say that word with me. Moderation to the good food of the land. But really, it represented, friend, spiritually something that was happening in their lives and to be true in their life. There's, there's true truths from this. First, they, they had to move from milk to meat as it came to the deeper things of God. And so it is with you and I. Listen, friend, when you first get saved, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Holy Spirit begins to help you to understand the Word of God. That's the importance of discipleship, to learn those basic responsibilities that you have to your commander, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you begin to grow in those things. You begin to take those baby steps. And babies have milk. And then you begin to add in those little rice flakes so they can put a little more in their stomach. And moms, you love this. You don't have to get up and feed them as often. Can I get a amen? They're satisfied. And then you start introducing some, 
some strained bananas. But you don't give a one-year-old with no teeth a pork chop to chew on. They're not ready for that. But as they grow and mature, the time comes, friend, that listen, they don't stay on the milk anymore. It's time to move on to real grown-up food. So is true spiritually. God's plan, friend, is that each of us listen. We move from the fundamental spiritual truths to the deeper truths of God's Word. Listen to what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 12 through 14. Or the author of Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 14, where the Bible says, For the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Only God's Word can do that. I meant to read out of chapter 5. Listen to verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 5. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. For you have come to need milk and not solid food. They had regressed. The author of Hebrews was saying to, to those Christians, you, you had been growing in discipleship and you had moved on, but your commitment waned, and now you need, you've regressed back, and now you've got to go back to milk. That's not God's plan. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You hear me this morning. You'll never move on to the meat of God's Word, first, without an appetite, but two, friend, without eating. You've got to spend time every single day studying God's Word, friends, so that you can grow in the deeper truths of God's Word. I truly believe with all of my heart one of the reasons that we're moving into a post-Christian era here in the South is because so many people in the local church are biblically illiterate. They're biblically illiterate. And one of the biggest reasons rests at the pulpit. So many pastors don't preach and teach the Word of God anymore. The truths of God's Word. And to teach their people. I know a pastor in the area, in this county, who said from his mouth, I don't preach the deeper things of God to my people because they have trouble understanding them. Friend, that's pitiful. That's pitiful. One for him and one for the church if it's true. And I didn't know the things that I know, friend, without studying. It's not a sin to be ignorant. It's a sin to stay that way. There's not one person in this room who can have the corner market on Bible study. Every person in here can know the Word of God. The question is, will you have an appetite to eat it? And will you put the time in to consume it? You put the time in to consume it. So, so we have to move from milk to meat. And can I just say in passing, there's a second truth. We must not elevate tradition to truth. And I'll say that again, listen to me. We must not in the local church, our families, or our lives, elevate tradition to that of truth. Now listen, it had been the tradition of the people to go and feast on manna every single day. But now the manna wasn't there anymore. 
Now God was leading the people to feast off of the land. But what if, stay with me, what if somebody got up one morning and said, where's the manna? And someone came out and said, well, there's not manna anymore. God said we're to eat off this corn that's growing over here. And there's all these fruits over here. And, and see these vegetables? And, and see that lamb over there? Go kill that and eat it. Make you a lamb chop. They said, no, sir. 40 years I've been eating manna. That's what we do. And I'm going to keep eating manna. That's what we've always done. Well, guess what would have happened? They're going to starve and they're going to die. And my friend, when the local church listens to me, elevates tradition to the level of truth, that church at some point will die. It'll die. If that tradition is based on the command of God, then it's not, it shouldn't be a tradition, friend. It is something that's a part of our life because God has commanded it. Listen to what Jesus had to say about doing that. Write this in the margin of your Bible next to that verse. Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 9. Listen to what, listen to what Jesus said um, about elevating tradition to that of truth, biblical truth. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Jesus, now listen to me, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands. The Pharisees had created the tradition that nothing wrong with washing your hands. I'm all for it. Helps keep you from getting sick. But they had made it a part of their ceremony, but the Bible hadn't commanded them to do that. But they made their tradition equal to the Word of God. And so the Pharisees came to Jesus and says, Man, all your disciples, they don't wash their hands. They just sit down, pray, and go at it like they've never eaten before. And he answered and said to them, Listen, well did Isaiah, this is Jesus speaking, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Listen, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He said what, they've done, what they did was they took all of their traditions the way they'd always done it and made everybody believe that that's the way the Bible said it had to be done, but the Bible didn't say that's how it had to be done. And everybody was brainwashed into thinking that tradition equaled the command of God. And friend, that's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Listen to what he says in verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, Jesus said, you've set aside the word of God and you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things. And he said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. And that's the danger. Hear me this morning. If you're awake, say amen. amen. Say it one more time. Amen. That's the danger. You hear your pastor this morning. That's the danger in elevating tradition to that of a commandment of God. At some point, you will do everything within your power to protect a tradition, even, friend, to the cost of neglecting the Word of God. You will be so consumed and so concerned with protecting some man-made tradition that you'll neglect the clear teaching of Scripture.
That's a danger. That is, that is, that is a danger. So that they were to have a new diet. Third night closed, notice this. They were also going to have a divine director. Now we're going to spend a whole lot more time next week in, in the following verses. But I just wanted to tie this today that God's getting them ready for the work. They were to have a divine director in their life. I love these verses. Look at 13 through 15 very quickly. And so it, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. He's just out. He's surveying the city. He's looking at the city. He, he sees the walls. Certainly, friend, he's, he's looking at, man, that's a big wall. Listen, history would show that the walls of Jericho were so big. Listen, this isn't like the wall out by your gate. That you could ride, two chariots could ride abreast. On the walls of Jericho. This, listen, friend, bigger than the Great Wall of China. This was a wall. And so he's sitting there looking at that. And so he lifted his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him. Out of his peripheral vision, he sees a man. But it wasn't just a man, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a pre New Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, a Christophany. And so he sees this capital M-A-N stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and he said to him, I love this. He says, now, are, are you for us or our adversaries? Hey, are, are you on our side or are you on their side? We meant to say, are you with me or, or are you with them? And I love this answer. He just says, no. No. The question was, hey... Are, are you with us? Or are you with them? No. L look at it. Verse 14, he said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshipped him, saying, what does my Lord say to me? Joshua submitted himself to his divine director. He realized, friend, this. Jesus didn't come to take part. He came to take over. Hear me this morning, friend, because a, a lot of contemporary Christianity teaching today is this. Jesus comes, and you're so blessed that Jesus comes to, to take part in your life. My friend, Jesus didn't come to take part in any person's life. He came to take over their life. He didn't come to take part in your marriage. He came to take over your marriage. He didn't come to take part in the ministries of this church. He came and He died and bled and rose again to take over the ministries of this church. And you'll never be fit for service. You'll never be fit for work, my friend, if you don't have a divine director in always. Jesus will never be, friend, just part of your life. He is Lord are Lord of nothing. And so Joshua bowed himself. And he realized, what does my servant say? So Jesus says, I'm leading this battle, Joshua. You're not. You follow. And my friend, wisdom is this. To wake ev up every single morning and to simply say, Private Chandler reporting for duty. Lord Jesus, you lead. I'll follow. That's Luke 9, 23. Daily, take up your cross, deny yourself, and you follow Jesus Christ. He's not going to ride in the sidecar of your life. You know, you, you pull him out as a reserve when, like a jack. You know, when my spiritual tire goes flat, thank God we've got Jesus. 
to get us out. No, sir, no man. He is your commander or not at all. I wonder this morning, who's, who's still in Egypt? Who's still bound today by sin's penalty, by sin's possession of your life? Friend, only by the blood of the Lamb through Jesus Christ can you be set free from that. I wonder even after all these messages, there's somebody who's been saved, but you still haven't crossed over Jordan. You're, you, you've settled like Reuben and, and Gad. You, you, you're settling for good. Friend, get over that. Exchange good for best. Surrender to all that and cross over today. Cross over. Join the rest of us, friend, who have said, I don't want good. I want the best that Jesus has. But I wonder if there's somebody who's, there's some things in your life you've crossed over, but you're still not ready for the work. There's some things that you've been convicted of through this text this morning that need to take place in your life. Yield yourself to Jesus Christ today and let him get you ready for the work that he set before his church. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never trusted him, he bled and died, rose again, and offers to you spiritual life and life more abundantly. Won't you confess him as Lord today? Turn from all your sin, trusting to be Lord of your life. Tell him so even right now in the quietness of your heart, just like this. Oh God, forgive me of my sin. I turn from it. I don't want me or what I've been and what my life has been anymore. I want you and the life that you've, you want to save me to experience. And so I turn from all my sin. I believe Jesus died. I believe he rose again. And I confess him to be commander and Lord of my life. I'm all in. Save me from my sin. Lead me and make me into the person you, you want me to be now. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you prayed that, you mean it with all your heart, won't you make your way forward in just a few moments when they begin to sing after we stand our feet? And I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Maybe you can recognize you need to cross over this morning. Just tell that to God during a, in, in a prayer of faith as we stand our feet in a few moments. Forsake whatever it is, friend, that you're holding on to. And let it go. And reach out and follow Jesus. If God has convicted you, friend, that you're not ready for work because there's some things, some realities that aren't in your life that we saw in this text today, let the spiritual surgeon and the hand of God and your divine director lead you to the man and woman he wants to make you today. Father, you speak to us. Holy Spirit clearly wants you to speak your will to our lives. And Father, it is our prayer that you would have your own way. You would have your way, not us. You would have your own way in our hearts and lives during this time of invitation. That's all we ask. That's all we desire. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand up.